Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now before we get started, I have really exciting news on two fronts. First, the podcast has an official, I, I literally run it official, um, Instagram bio. I believe it's uh, Instagram and I believe it is, give me a second, I'm not the best at this. The Instagram handle in question is Lunchbox Radio underscore podcast. Lunchbox Radio is all one word, all lowercase, and podcast is one word in lowercase. But there's an underscore in the middle of those two there. So definitely go check that out. Follow me for updates on the podcast. Cool, like, okay, like I will, I will post generally like anime themed shenanigans that I get up to there. Which considering I'm going to. Anime NYC this November on the 18th. Um, you can see what I see there if you wonder what I'm talking about. Probably on this very podcast um, for maybe a Sunday edition, maybe a Thursday edition. We'll see what happens um, on that Instagram account. So definitely go check that out. I also want to encourage you to listen to the episode all about Eurocamp that just came out last Thursday. But as of today, like I looked this morning, this podcast has officially been listened to over a hundred thousand times. Like it's literally a hundred thousand and seventy times, which thank you, thank you, thank you so much. That is really cool. I can't imagine, I could never imagine that people would want to listen to me rant about anime on the internet that many times in any way, shape or form. So, if you're new here, definitely subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using to listen to me right now. New episodes come out every third day and every other Sunday. But we'll get to that after what we're talking about this week. What we're talking about this week is a small show. So, I'm actually put for a rare first for me. I'm remembering to do this up front. Um, Spoilers for everything surrounding this property. And I mean everything surrounding this property. And if you're wondering what this property is, it is Cyberpunk 2077 Edge Runners. Good morning, Night City! Yesterday's body count lottery rounded out to a solid and sturdy 30. 10 out of Haywood. Thanks to unabated gang wars. One officer down, so I guess you're all screwed. Cause the NCPD will not let that go. Got another blackout in Santo Domingo. Netrunners are at it again, poking holes in the power grid. While over in Westbrook, trauma teams scraping cyber psycho victims off the pavement. And in Pacifica, well, Pacifica is still Pacifica. This has been your man, Stan. Join me for another day in our city of dreams. Now, before we get into my thoughts on this show, I want to be even clearer here. I want to say spoiler spoiler warnings on Cyberpunk 2077, the video game. Spoiler warning on Cyberpunk 2077 Edge Runners. Spoiler spoiler warning on the Cyberpunk um, comic books that exist. 
spoiler, spoiler alert on cyberpunk kind of anything. Anything that's in the cyberpunk genre, even. Because if this goes any way close to the way that it went when I covered the video game on this podcast a bunch of episodes back, you can look for that in the feed. Um, I listened to that. It, 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 it was interesting enough for me to be able to tolerate listening to myself, which is like a thing I don't like doing more than I have to, so that should tell you something. Um, but definitely go check out that episode as kind of a precursor to this episode if you really want to, but you can listen to this one too. It's, it's fine. It's fine. We're all safe here, but once again, spoiler warning. So if you really want to watch this or finish it off, this show is on Netflix. Ten episodes. It, it goes by as fast as you let it. It will go by in a flash because it's really... I'm going to get to that in... I'm going to get to that later on in the episode. And if you can believe it, I took... I took some serious notes on this thing. That's how much, like, I had thoughts about it. And a lot of the thoughts about it as a, as its own thing, but also it in the, like, grand scheme of the Cyberpunk 2077 of it. So, without further ado, let's get down to it here. So, this, this show does not follow the main cast, does not follow V, it does not follow any of the main cast of Cyberpunk 2077. They, they are in Night City, which Night City, Night City does the DC city thing in this show and acts as a great backdrop that really connects everything because once you're in Night City, you have you know, um, all the, all the megacorps. You have all the gangs that are you remember from are here from Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven the game. Now, there is one character who does unequivocally show up in this game in this in this show from the game, and we'll get to him in a. We'll get to him, I promise. Um, but what this show, the main character this show follows is, um, David, is a character named David Martinez, which is interesting because in both the video game and in the Edge Runners side story, let's call it, of an anime, both both of the properties focus on characters who seem to identify as Hispanic, which is really kind of fascinating because Night City, much like the city, much like um, super, like, stooped up cyber LA from um, Blade Runner, seems to almost be a stand-in for LA, taken over by, like, cyberpunk nightmare land. And it would make sense that you would have a plethora of characters who are Hispanic because of, like, the West Coast of it all, L.A., all of that stuff. It's a really, it's a really thoughtful thing. So, we open up the show on um, David Martinez and his mother, Gloria Martinez. And it's really clear that his mother, Gloria Martinez, who works as... As best the show offers up, a public 
a public safety um, EMS worker. So in in the in the Cyberpunk video game, one of the first things that you do as a mission is you get in a fucking fight in an apartment. You get in a gunfight in an apartment with a trauma team. And in this game, trauma teams are very specific things because they are like a bit they're a big insurance they're a big like medical insurance thing that like if you have trauma coverage that means that if you get fucked up on the streets of Night City a trauma team gets an alert and a bunch of armed fucking nurses come and kill anything around you that might attempt to hurt you more or kill you and retrieve you and just fix your shit up and that comes in to play a couple of times in this show. And all the characters who you meet, um, who have trauma coverage, are the kind of rich motherfuckers who would have trauma coverage, if that makes any sense. But you open up on David Martinez and his mother, Gloria Martinez. And Gloria is a struggling sing single mom who's, like, barely making ends meet, but she's got one thing to her name, and that's she, that she's sending her son, David, to a super-duper elite private school. And that private school is run by Arasaka. It's the Arasaka Corporate Private Academy. And... But because she's having issues making ends meet because she's not working for a private trauma team, she's working for a public EMS trauma team, she doesn't make a lot of money. And the result, and the, the overwhelming, I want to talk about this before we get into the like meat of it. The overwhelming thing with cyberpunk is nobody who Nobody below a certain level really makes all that much money. And everything costs so much, so the top of the... So the top of the pyramid, so to speak, can make all the money they can figure out how to get their greedy little hands on. And in this, in this show, you never see that top pinnacle of like you never see the head of the Arasaka Corporation you you meet those you see those characters ultimately in Cyberpunk 2077 but what in the in the video game version of the of this universe but what this show never showing you those people does is it shows you how far away its main characters are from even possibly being in the same room as these assholes. Like, one of the more well, even the more wealthy character you see, or the more well-off characters you see, are ultimately disposable. And this show is like a master class in capitalism, in, in um, two things, in capitalism in the way that money is king, and also it has this master class in classism to like take you through for the first episode. But what the first episode ends up being is it ends up being this kind of making of a monster of David Martinez. 
because it's kind of the story aesthetic of Cyberpunk 2077's world is that Night City is a character in this world kind of in the same way that New York City can be a character in lots of movies and television that it's in but Night City overwhelming desire to fuck your shit up at at any given point for no reason like you could be walking down the street and it's just a bad day for you now like your best friend's dead and so they have all these they have this kind of extended demonstration for the entire first episode of like David Martinez and his place in the pecking order his his status and his class among his classmates who are all wealthy elite douchebags of varying different levels and then he it, he is he gets in trouble at school and on his way home Gloria is like lecturing him saying like you know this is the this is the big league this is the way you make it out I want it for you I want you to make it out and there's this great there's this perpetuation of this great lie in this moment of of Gloria saying I want I want you to have a better life than I had and Ultimately, David, by the end of the series, has had a better, more... Has had a better, more eventful life than she had. But not certainly not in the way that she intended it. And... Nowhere near the life she thought that she was going to be able to give her son by sending him to this Arasaka corporate endorsed school. And there's this real there's this real understanding of the kind of like lie of these massive behemoth megacorps in this show. Like you don't you don't really get to rise up the ranks in a serious way unless you're born into it. In the in in the world that this presents. If you do very well in school and you, and all you did was very well in school, you get to be a slightly better like lackey than somebody else does. You may get to work in the lab instead of working at like uh instead of working for like the Arasaka Retrieval Corps. And but what Gloria really wants here. She wants her son. She wants her son not to live in a dumpy apartment where every appliance charges you, uh, charges you a subscription fee. And if you're late on your subscription fee, they like the washer. The, the washer stops working in like the very first in one of the very first scenes in this show because they haven't re-upped the subscription fee for the for the washer and dryer combo machine that they wash your clothes in. So, you see David and you see kind of how he sticks out like a sore thumb in this environment. And then on their way home, they are attacked by, they, they 
are in this major car crash that's caused by being in the crossfire between these two, um, like, chromed up, cyber, cybered out gang, gangs who are basically shooting each other across the, across Gloria, Gloria's car with Gloria and David in them, in the car. Now, here's what I want to talk about the uh, director here, and I actually am going to talk about the director and some of and some of the people behind this because I think it's significant for how the show turned out, and I think it's significant for the for how the show turned out based on the pedigree that went into it. So, the director is um, Hiroyuki Maishi and I- I- Imaishi, and if you know that name from anywhere you know it from Kill a Kill you know it from Promare and this show at its most bombastic has that like bombastic combat quality of Promare and it also has some of the scale tricks they play with Gamagori in um in Kill a Kill it, it uses a lot of animation tricks that you would associate with Kill a Kill, like the cutout style that they did, um, the pink-haired chick towards the end in. They really do a good job of kind of rewarding you if you've seen, um, Imaishi's other work. You're like, oh, that feel, like, the, the treatment for cyberpsychosis feels like something from Kill a Kill. A lot of the combat feels like something from Promare, or even Kill a Kill in some cases. And so just bear that in mind when you're watching it, that this, the same person who did this, did um the di- did, directed Kill a Kill and directed Promare. He's like the pinch hitter for um Studio Trigger in a lot of ways. And also, this was this was done by Studio Trigger. So, what you have here, and I'm mentioning this now because it'll be important later when I talk about some other stuff, but what you have here is you have a Netflix-produced, a Netflix and CD Projekt Red-produced tie-in, tie-in anime to CD Projekt Red's Hit but still a dumpster. Hit but dump a dumpster fire when it came out. Although it plays much better now. Um, game. Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. And so that's the thing as a product. That's what Cyberpunk twenty. That's what Cyberpunk Edge Runners is. It is this tie-in product for a video game, basically. That that is kind of a thing that's in a long line of stuff like that in not just video games, but toys. Um, toys and video games, really, primarily. If you look at Gundam, Gundam Gundam is about moving plastic model kits, baby. Um, dot Hack Sign, dot, the like Dot Hack Media Project starts with the video game and then spins out into different anime that interact with that video game that you're playing. And that's a very that's a very cool concept of a thing. So this is not a unique thing, 
Although it doesn't happen very often because a bunch of things need to line up in the right place. But back to what I was saying about the making of a monster and David Martinez and his mother Gloria. So when they get in this car crash, of course, the trauma team comes to and the the really the really interesting thing about the use of the trauma team is they show up a lot of times to different um to different big bad nightmares because the show's kind of telling you like hey somebody who got involved who's like was told who was like is near dead in this whole nightmare of a clusterfuck is rich enough to afford a trauma coverage to afford to afford trauma coverage and a kind of running theme of this of the cyberpunk world and in this show is everything comes with different levels of plans like you can get the bronze or the platinum or whatever kind of plan you want to get and the and the bottom plan still plays the game of like are you happy with our service even if they're like the dog shit service and that leads to what i think is a correct feeling for this world and that is this feeling of like an over corporate tithe like they 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 don't actually care but um they don't actually care but they do feel but like they are like playing the game of like oh people like we want we want to know how many people are using this so we know how much money we're making off of this bottom tier price, which is still too fucking expensive. The reason why I'm talking about that is because the trauma teams show up, they do not help his mother, and they also do not help him, but he's fine. He was buckled and he was fine. His mother went through the windshield and slid across the pavement. He then ends up at a back alley doctor, and or, or what you what you perceive as a back alley doctor, but is actually a doctor on like the low pay scale of like the service tiers. And the doctor says she's recuperating. She made it through surgery, but she'll be, but she should be fine in three days. And then you hard cut to, um, you. you don't really hard cut you like you see some stuff in between but then eventually what you see in between actually is important because it's the introduction of a character and it's this character of Lucy and Lucy is introduced as this you know streetwise um edge runner and the show doesn't really tell you what an edge runner is but it is essentially a edge runners are mercenaries for hire who skirt the law for money on behalf of fixers who generally work for or through the big major um, megacorps. So, like in this show, you the fixer that you most that you most deal with is a fixer named Faraday, and Faraday seems to work 
for Militech. And so what Lucy's doing here is she's stealing data chips from people on the, on the subway. She's basically pickpocketing data chips out of people's necks on the subway. Actually, no, that, that, that happens after. That happens, I got my things mixed up. You, at this point, you have a lot more of, like, the classism and the clashes with his um, classmates that, David, that you saw David having earlier. And then he finds out that his mother isn't going, that his mother didn't make it. And what happens essentially is he gets his mother's ashes in a coffee can. And this is, this is the finishing of the making of the monster. This is, this is the result of ever, and this is kind of one of the big truths of this show. And that is that everything comes at a cost. And that cost is applies to everybody. Everybody is after money in this show. So money is this like primary motivator Until, for for everyone except for the very top of the pyramid, which once again in the show you do not see, and it's important that you do not see because this show is not about the character V who is this all who by the end of cyberpunk 2077 in that game you as V are this like awe-inspiring oh my god once in a century cyberpunk that's not who this show is about it's about it's a vignette of something that happened in Night City before, before or after um, these incident, which and it, which it is, it doesn't really matter. So there's a phrase I really like, and it goes, "Heroes are just people with no other options." And what I mean there is that, like, everybody wants to ascribe something hero heroic to the like exit to to people who do heroic things but more often than not most people who truly do heroic things for the re for for no other re do it for no other reason than survival or they're out of options in that moment and the show up until now had done a really good job of pushing David into a corner. And he's sitting there with his with his mother's trap with his mother ashes in a coffee can. And he's got a massive amount of debt. He's been expelled from school. He's No, he hasn't been expelled from school. He's on shaky ground in his academy. And he doesn't know what to do. And then he moves his mother's trauma, like, um, EMS jacket. And he sees this prosthetic that's, like, in this big, um, it's in this big, almost, like, vacuum-sealed bag. 
And he goes to this Ripper doc he knows. Actually, first he calls the Ripper doc. He's like, what What will something like this fetch me? And the Ripper doc, like, tries to dick him over and he tells him to go fuck himself. And then he goes to school again. And then he comes back from school. And now he's really in a corner. And he goes back to... And he goes to that Ripper doc with this, with this insane military-grade prosthetic. And he says, I want... I'm not selling, I want this put here and he points at his back and he has it installed and I, I it's called like the like the sand vein or something but what this what this military grade um, prosthetic that he's just had installed in his body does is it makes it so he can move at superhuman speed kind of like the flash and kind of like, or kind of like, um, kind of like the Flash, actually, is the best way to put it. He basically has the speed force now. And this is why I want to talk about the production values of this show, because it would have been really easy for this show to just do bullet time in the way that they do for the Flash or they do for, um, for, um, Quicksilver from the X-Men. Actually, the most, is probably the most apt here. Quicksilver from the X-Men, like, those scenes in all the X-Men movies, they could have done that, and it would have been fine. But what they end up doing, and they demonstrate this one time before in, um, a news re in some news footage, is they do it with after-images, and they do it with multi-colored after-images. And it becomes this trademark thing that, um, David can do. So, he goes into school with this thing installed, kicks the shit out of the guy, out of the like high end, out of the like high polluting, high class bully who is picking on him purely because he was not, he was of such low status that this bully c knew that he could and there would be no repercussions. Breaks the guy's nose, gets expelled from school. Now, in the background here, that bully's father, who's an Arasaka executive, who's like on the Arasaka board, gets word that this kid clearly has this military-grade prosthetic installed in him and can take it and can do it and can use it. He hasn't, like, it hasn't ripped his mind into, like, a fucking piece of paper. And so he goes, this kid might have potential. Reach out to him. Offer him extensive financial aid. And tell him, like, we're interested in working with him. Only at this point, David doesn't give a shit. Like, he is, he has like, out, he's out, the, this, that academy has outlived its usefulness for him. And this is the point when he's on the train and he's like, ignoring the calls from his academy thing like you've been graciously readmitted and given a full ride and like all this other stuff they're trying to bribe him into like making what will ultimately be a stupid mistake a deeply stupid mistake and but he ignores it and then he catches Lucy in this sequence I talked about that I mistakenly talked about earlier 
trying to nab one of his um, data cards from his neck, which he catches easily because he can use the, the um, high-speed acceleration to grab her wrist and be like, what the fuck are you doing? And she's caught off guard by this. And then she agrees to work with him. And this is the start of their relationship. And we'll get into it later. But after working with him for a while, she, you know, it's like, we, you did really good work, but you overloaded yourself and I had to take you to Ripper Dock. And, like, and he, she's like, don't worry, I'll pay. He's like, don't worry, I'll make a... I'll make it up to pay you back and then some it it'll be easy and she's like I'm sure I'm sure it will but let's just go hang out. And this is where this show does something for really the first time that commits to it that's really gorgeous. Is it gives you this really human moment with um Lucy and David and it gives you them bonding. And then all of a sudden it's interrupted. You're pulled out of it by this character, Maine. Who's like, oh, you're the one who took my fucking prosthetic. How'd you get it? And then he, uh, over time, he realizes that, oh, this is Gloria's kid. Gloria w- and Gloria was working with them as an edge runner. And it, that prosthetic high speed the the sandy was meant for Maine and Maine is mostly inorganic at this point he's like huge and he's got he's got the giant gorilla arms which means he's got super strength from he's got giant gorilla arms and he's got cannon forearms he's like a big fucking dude he's he's too much chrome for his own good, as you find out later. And that starts their... That starts their relationship. Kind of rocky, but ultimately... You know, David proves himself. And... There's this pre-existing relationship of, like... You knew my mom. And he... he and he see And Maine sees that, too. And all of the ancillary characters... Lucy, um, the, I forget the, I think it's, I think it's, um, Pillar is, the um, is the character, is, um, Rebecca's older brother, who we'll get to Rebecca in a second. Um, they all knew David's mom, Gloria, and when he says they, that she died, he's, he's like, oh, that's why she hasn't been answering my calls. Wait, when the fuck did she die? He's like, two days ago? He's like, oh, I just, talked to her three days ago shit and that's a little cue that tells you how common death is in this um line of work in night city and in night city in general and from there off to the races and initially Lucy's pretty standoffish but ultimately her and David get involved and they become romantically involved and very attached to each other in a way that's like fast but understandable 
And David finds out ultimately the petty crime always pays. That like stealing the like chips from people's necks is an easy way to make some cash and like keep and like keep like keep up the maintenance on his now pretty maintenance heavy single prosthetic he has. And but the entire time, Maine is like, look, like take this gun. This will do until you can save up some scratch and you can get some real chrome. And chrome is how they refer to the prosthetic weapons that they all have. So, to give you an idea, um, one of the side characters is like a master hacker um, character named Kiwi. Um, she has no mouth on her face. She's got like a mask and she's very clearly specced for net running, which is the cyberpunk universe's version of hacking. And then there's the almost like grasshopper looking guy who's like a punk rocker with giant like almost praying mantis arms and like big hands and he ultimately gets like cool ass gold plated hands and the like the like errand to the errand to deliver those is where you meet, get your first kind of formal introduction to a character named Rebecca, who's that character. I think his name is Pillar. Um, who's Pillar's um, little sister. And they live together, and you find out that, like, Rebecca is super heavily modified. She's got, like, increased sized hands. She's got an all-white body with, like, lots of decals on it and she basically never wears clothes she wears a zip-up hoodie and underwear and that's fucking it <laughs> and so you get this kind of like mercenary life but low priority feel like stuff's dangerous but not that dangerous uh, stuff da stuff dangerous but nothing they can't take and then Faraday comes into the picture, and Faraday is kind of always in the picture in the background, but he comes in the picture in a more major way with these big jobs for um, Maine and his crew, which includes David now. And they, and they realize, like, oh, when we... They did a carjacking, basically, where they were trying to get um, location data from actually the uh, the father of that character that um, David beats the crap out of in the beginning. And because they need the location data for him because he's working on something super secret for Arasaka and Militech wants that info. The info ends up not being there. So Faraday, who's like very coded as being evil. Just very coded as being evil. And he is an evil piece of shit. Like, don't trust him as far as you can throw him. Does this thing where he doesn't tell them anything they're doing, he just tells them to go do it. And that's for two reasons in this show. The first reason is this stuff is like super secret and the more people know about it, the more people have to die, the more work needs to get done to kill them. But also 
he's protecting his own ass. And this is one of the first glimpses you get of, like, Faraday's not the top of the food chain. He feels like the top of the food chain, lower down on the food chain, but he's not. And it's very clear after a while that he's definitely not. And you start to learn kind of the real, like, life of what David has gotten himself into. It's not super dangerous, but it's not bad. And all the while, him and Lucy are canonically together. They, they make a point of showing the fact that, like, David has moved out of his mother's old apartment that he wasn't affording. And, he, and him and Lucy now live together. You... You see this picture of him and his mother next to each other on, like, the entrance day for the Academy at next to this sparkling silver coffee can that is his mother's ashes. Every so often throughout the show, it shows you it to be like, he's still got this thing, he's still got this anchor. And when he first met Lucy... Lucy revealed that she had this dream to go to the moon. And that's the first real hint that you get that David David doesn't have a dream anymore. David doesn't have a dream. And he doesn't and he never really did have a dream. Other people had hopes and dreams for him, but he he never had one for himself. And you wouldn't believe how common that is in all walks of life, but especially in the kind of scenario where there's so much pressure on you being put put on you to like succeed in an environment that you are not well suited to necessarily, like a private school when you know it's a when it's a struggle for you to afford um, um, tuition. And with his mother gone. He kind of, he promises, he ultimate, the way that him and Lucy, like, ultimately shack up is he promises Lucy, like, I will, I don't really have a dream, but I will make your dream come true. One way or another. And it just, the show kind of spirals from there. The show, the show spirals from... the moment that this kidnapping mission that Faraday gives them goes bad. They go after a, um, a BD or a, a, a brain dive editor and that goes bad and ultimately what happens is Maine loses himself to his, to his chrome, to his prosthetics. And in the game terminology, that's called cyberpsychosis. Now, I want to talk about this for a second. Because this is... And I talked about this in the previous episode I did about the cyberpunk video game. But this is very fucked up. Because what this... What this show is suggesting is that you can basically overload your own brain by putting too many prosthetics in your body. And then you just... You lose it. The, um, Rebecca's older brother is actually killed by a cyber psycho. To, to, to show you 
the consequences of cyberpsychosis and the fact that these that these people have lost their finger lick and mind are now just murder machines are just out there in the world and like on a bad on a bad night after drinking you can bump into one and your life is over and there's a specific team from Militech that shows up to deal with them but um Maine loses his mind and they demonstrate this really clearly and really efficiently and it just it like breaks your heart because up until then Maine is a really it's like a dude who does bad shit but he's like a stand up dude and then he just flips his lid and ultimately dies and that changes that changes the game for um David and it changes the game for Lucy what happens to Lucy is Lucy realizes like okay I have somebody I care about more than I than than myself for the first time maybe ever and I need to figure out a way to protect them from all of this from Night City eating them alive and she has a plan for that but David doesn't listen to her and he gets back but he gets back and he's changed and in the like in like the one of the story beats the story is when Maine is like you need more chrome you need more like higher end pro like more prosthetic kind of like what you've got in your spine right now he's like why don't you try he after um Rebecca's after Rebecca's brother died he's like why don't you try Rebecca's brother's hands why don't you try um Pillar's hands he's like not really my style and he just kind of like notes um he notes Maine's like gorilla arms with cannons in them and Maine's like you know what if I die, they're all yours. And so when Ma when Maine ultimately dies, they don't say it outright, but you get the real sense that that's where, that's where the change in David kind of starts. Is Maine dying, this person who wasn't just a role model, but was an idol to David. And while... While role models are good, idols are bad. Because idols... Because people are always flawed and... Like, when you idolize somebody, you're looking too far past those flaws and... You can just... Like... You can latch on to everything that they were, even if it was bad. Even if it was bad. And that's kind of what David does. And from there, it's this, it's the, it attempts to show this world in which David makes a name for himself, but what's actually showing you is actually showing you the, like, gears turning all around David to crush him. And one of the kind of touching but really sad moments of this show is the fact that David and... Lucy stay together after Maine dies 
Lucy is no longer part of the crew, quote-unquote, but she's doing whatever she's doing. They don't tell you until later. Um, at their big, high-end, like, beautiful loft apartment that they now share together. And they have these really touching... There's a really touching, like, kind of after-work home life, home life scenes between her and David where she's watching David lose his mind. She's watching this person she loves slip away from her, and she's doing her best to, like, try and intervene. And Rebecca is also doing her best uh, while she's on the crew to intervene, and she's saying, like, Go to your river dock. Have some of that shit taken out. Take a breather. I'm not saying it's going to be forever, but, like, go light on your prosthetics for a while. Let your brain, like, reconstitute because you're losing it, dog. And he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm special. You heard Faraday. You heard, like, all these people tell me I'm one of a kind. I can take it. And ultimately, he can't take it. And I'm, I'm going to talk about less concrete story stuff from here on out. But suffice to say, this show, this show drives everyone except for Lucy into an early grave. By the end of this show, you know, Lucy and the driver and the character dri who drives them, Diorio are the only ones left alive. You know, because what kind of, ha what happened is the people above Faraday put their sums on the scale. They've had enough. They, they're done dealing with it. And they just send Adam Smasher at David. And if you played the if you played the video game, you know Adam Smasher is is kind of the second to final is like the final boss character of that game, of that game functionally. Narratively, there's a different situation, but of that game functionally, Adam Smasher is a character who you see in the first in the first big sequence of the game, but you also like it, you don't actually face until the very end of the game. So he's the big bad. And he's alluded to a couple times throughout the 10 episodes. But here's where it feels... But here's where the show starts to feel cheap. And I started, like, having all of these thoughts and writing down a lot more notes. Because... This is a big show... This is a big art piece. And all of this ink has been spilled about how bad the launch, and it was bad, of Cyberpunk 2077 was. And how all of this stuff was fucked up with its launch. And how all of this stuff has continued to be fucked up with it. Until this day. Like, they're still patching the shit out of this game. They're only now just getting on the track they expect they were hoping to be on in the beginning. And the reality is, is that this 
show for for as good as it is, and it is a good show, is art with a big price tag. Art that you had to pay that you had to pay the cost of this of the game existing and the game wanting to do some make goods so they went to Netflix and Netflix went to Trigger and that that is the running cost of how we got here and that's the cost of the existence of this thing as a product but also as art and It makes you ask what the real price of this of of this stuff is because even in some even in like the great artists were m- mostly supported by patrons like Da Vinci didn't paint because he just loved painting because pigments and canvas were expensive he had a patron who wanted him to paint who saw value in his art that's really why studios like Trigger can do things is people see value in their art. That's why any artist can do anything. Me, Any creative person can do anything. It's people see value in your creative talent and skill. And that includes me in this measure. But I think the Cyberpunk 2077 the video game not the series, was doomed from the start. And it was doomed from the start for the same reason that this was, that Edge Runners was kind of always guaranteed to be a success. Even if the video game wasn't. And that's because Cyberpunk 2077 is the, the, the now behemoth of, of media property that is Cyberpunk is the product of a corporation trying to get your money. And it's trying to have a, corporate, a conversation about how corporations will ultimately fuck us all over for their own good. And that's, that's what all of these shows are about. That's what all, that's what all the properties end up being about. There's a version of... Uh, there, there are... Happy endings to Cyberpunk 2077, to the Cyberpunk 2077 game, sure. But there are also endings where you end up trapped in a space tower and you're a test subject. Um, There are all kinds of, there are endings where you end up, like, dead in a ditch. And the, it's really difficult to have that. To have that be delivered by a corporation with any amount of good faith and understanding of of what cyberpunk functionally is. And what cyberpunk functionally is, is it's a warning. Cyberpunk is, as much as it is cool techno babble, like techno, techno metropolis hellscape badassery awesomeness it is ultimately a warning about not so much about the technology but about the companies who ultimately make that technology so I'm gonna let you in on something I've let, let you in 
on previously in an earlier episode of the podcast, but I've started collecting watches. Um, mostly because I think I've always thought watches were beautiful things, and I've like I'm finally at a income level where I can collect affordably priced watches, own beautiful pieces, own interesting pieces, own pieces I love, and not break myself in half to do it. I, but I've also started wearing mechanical watches or quartz watches instead of my Apple Watch because after a while wearing the Apple Watch, I could like the buzzing on my wrist was significant and all the time. And I could feel that like, I could feel that grip of Apple on my wrist. And don't get me wrong, I'm recording this on a on a Apple Mac Studio. Um, I have an I have an iPad Pro. I've several I I've one iPad Mini that works, one that's a piece of glass basically. Um, I have you know, I've got an iPhone. I'm using full cup AirPod Maxes to record this. I am very all in on Apple. But walking around like I'm I'm fine if I'm doing all these technical things with this stuff. But walking around, waking up every day and strapping Apple to my wrist started to feel less enjoyable than started to feel less enjoyable than it felt like a choice. So I gave myself a choice. I started investing in watch. I started investing in buying watches that I love. I now swap my watch every day. Um, and it took me a while to get there, but I got there. I, I clawed back some of what I was interested in in the world from a corporation. And that's really what the core warning of cyberpunk is about. It's about these corporations and their effect on our lives and their control of our lives. And, but you watch the, you watch, you watch Cyberpunk 2077, the video game, and you watch the, like, story that plays out in the video game, and you watch Edge Runners, and that gets a little lost in the sauce many times. It gets... It gets, it, it, it revels in what it's doing visually and narratively so much that it kind of forgets to take, at least in the video game, not so much in the show, but in the video game, it forgets to take you aside and be like, hey, I know it's real cool, like, gun it down the street in a, on a Harley and shoot people in the face, but like, this universe is fucked. And in Edge Runners, the kind of exclamation point on this warning sign is the fact that David was never going to make it out alive. Like, at, there's a point at the point at which you at the at the kind of time skip point where you see David running his own crew of Edge Runners, you realize that he's never going to make make it out of this alive, 
And you start to understand that Lucy sees that too. So does Rebecca. And they're both, and kind of every, Rebecca and Lucy really, but like a lot of people are trying to get him out. Are trying to pull him out before he's eaten alive by Night City or something adjacent to it. And ultimately that ends up being a kind of a cheap move on the show's part, Adam Smasher. And this show, this property, needs to do more with Adam Smasher to make you feel like that's earned. Make you feel like that character's earned this like mythos that they built up around him. And there's also this this, this the thing that this show does and the thing that lots of the that lots of anime does and lots of shows do in general and it's this idea of a noble death of a death that meant something there's uh, and the show even says as much it says don't pr don't prove your worth by how you live as an edge runner prove your worth by how you die as a cyberpunk but when you die you die there's nothing there and Kind of the, there's nothing, there's nothing kind of left there for most, if any. And even the stuff that's left there, you're not left there, so it doesn't matter. And the kind of grim truth that, at, that Adam Smasher does present David with is like, you fucking dumbass. All you had to do was not. All you had to do was stop. And the show makes it very clear. All, all David had to do was pause, de-escalate on the chrome, deny all of his calls, and fuck his girlfriend. Those were the three things he had to do. And everybody would still be alive. Everybody would still be... Like, he would be happier. There's a... um ending to the video game to the um to the cyberpunk video game would you end up with pan am and you end up living in the desert and you end up living a good life you end up living a healthy life you are free of the um of keanu reeves of johnny silverhand and you end up like being okay but that's like one ending <laughs> A lot of the endings of Cyberpunk are very fucked up. I got the ending where you end up in, a, in like, a outer space fucking test facility for eons. And people are just sending you the saddest fucking email. The saddest fucking video call, video voice messages. And it... It... So, at the end of this, I'm really at two of two minds about this show. I'm... I think you should totally watch it. I think you should absolutely watch this show. It's worth your time. It's... The ten episodes fly by. It's beautiful. It's thoughtful. It's... A truly creative thing that managed to be made inside of a near impossible like 
let, let me put it this way. This thing should not exist in the way that it does, but it manages to. This show is in many ways worth the lack of polish in the video game. This piece of art is worth not necessarily all the like overworked hours or any of that. It is worth the fucked up release of that video game. This is why that, as far as I'm concerned, the art that that video game allows to exist in its wake is why that video game exists. And yes, the art is in service to the video game, to, to the product, and the art is the product itself. But it's, we still get the thing. But I think... I think that a lot of cyberpunk media gets something wrong. And the thing that it gets wrong is it gets... It misses the hope aspect. It misses the possible good that can come, that can come out of this hellscape we may live in someday down the road. And what I mean by, and what I mean by that is pretty simple. All you have to do is look at a property like Ghost in the Shell. Now 2045 is its own beast and it is, it is strange and it starts to slip into that like abundantly negative feeling that you get from stuff like Cyberpunk 2077 and lots of Cyberpunk and lots of particularly Western Cyberpunk stories. But in the first Ghost in the Shell movie, by the end of that movie, there are characters who are deeply changed. The major is deep is deeply changed, possibly a different or new person. But no one's dead. Like no no one bites no one bites the bullet. No one of the main characters bites the bullet for this. At the end of the day, this is just a weird thing that happened and everybody still gets to live at the end. In the standalone complex series and in the um, Solid State Society film, everybody lives. Like, um, Togusa has a family. <laughs> Like, is able to live a normal life. Even the ones who don't live normal lives, they live their own, like, very privileged lives. They... The thing that... The thing that... This... That... This take on cyberpunk is afraid of showing... It, like, doesn't show you, is it doesn't show you the flip side of living in this, like, big, weird, techno nightmare. It doesn't show you the fact that, like, and th this show, and to its credit, Edge Runner does a good job of showing you some of it. This show shows you how much money David makes once he hits the big leagues. It shows you that, like, he he did it. He got the girl. He, you know, they, they got their own place. They live together. They spend 
They spend basically all their free time together. <laughs> Naked in an apartment, which is a really great visual way of demonstrating closeness and intimacy is that like they're basically hanging out naked at all times in that apartment which is amazing and it makes for a really for once again a really intimate a really loving portrayal of the of their relationship in a really quick down and dirty easy way like you they have this recurring motif in the in the show um later on where you see David can't sleep so he goes and he zones out in front of the TV but the way you find out is you cut it's a you cut to Lucy waking up in bed and David's not there and she can hear the TV and she wanders down and she's like oh you can't sleep again I'll ha I'll hang out with here with you and she just like plops her naked body on the couch and just leans against him and he puts his arm around her and she like watches his hands slightly twitch out as she knows that he's losing it that he's losing his grip on reality and there's nothing she can do about it short of knocking him out and dragging him to his ripper dock and making his ripper dock illegally remove some of David's prosthetics. And it's this like sad melancholy beauty. The the best the best way I can kind of the best um thing I can kind of liken it to is um Dr. Stein going insane in um in Soul Eater. I forget. Uh, I forget the character, the Death Scythe's name, who becomes his partner. But she, it, Lucy, kind of becomes to David almost what she is, what that what that Death Scythe character is to Doctor Stein and Soul Leader in a lot of ways, but in more in a more significant way because. Lucy deeply cares about David from the jump, basically. But, but from the, for, for a long time. And ultimately, David gives his life to make sure that Lucy gets out alive. And Lucy has this dream. Because Lucy has a dream that she can follow, and David doesn't. And the show is kind of like a experiment and what happens when you don't really have a dream on some level but it's not really because the like I said this show is does not really show you the good points of living in this world it does not show you the like and this is true of cyberpunk of of cyberpunk 2077 as a in as a whole is it doesn't show you the good points and if i had to guess the reason why it doesn't do that much it's because it's trying to explicitly show you like this is a warning like cyberpunk is a warning 
but it also it doesn't do that either and it doesn't do that because it it's so By the end of watching this and by the end of playing the game, I had this real wonder of is um is cyberpunk too big of a thing for this kind of treatment? And what I mean there is not that video games can't do it effectively. I'm playing a new video game that's a cyberpunk video game seems to be doing it very effectively and video games have tackled cyberpunk very effectively in the past but this kind of triple a ball to the wall first person shooter in the vein of something like um a grand theft auto does not feel like the right stage to tackle these questions you know the there are spectacular displays of violence in Ghost in the Shell. But they are not the point of Ghost in the Shell. The point of Ghost in the Shell is about existentialism. It's about bodies. It's about personhood. It's about what comes... What happens when AIs come to resemble human beings in a way. And I just... I don't... I don't, and it's, it's about the, and I, I, I said this in my um, conversation about Cyberpunk 2077, the game, but the best parts of that game are the humanization of the characters, are the, are the human qualities of that game, and the best parts of this show are the human qualities of this show. They are the quiet moments you get with Maine and his girlfriend They're before he goes crazy. They're, they are the quiet moments you get throughout with Lucy and David. They are the... Even the very human moment of when um, Rebecca's brother dies at the hands of a cyber-psycho and she loses her shit. And just goes ape shit on this guy, even though she knows she won't win. And that human quality is um, it's missing from too much of the property to feel especially in the video game. In the show they do a really good job of weaving it in throughout with first with Gloria's first with first with Gloria David's mother and then later with Gloria and with David and Lucy's relationship because the entire time that you see Lucy and David you see alongside them they don't have much in this apartment except for two things picture of David and his mother and the coffee can with David with Gloria's ashes in it. And they keep focusing on them. And David keeps focusing on them. And in his, like, last moments alive, he comes back to his mother and his mother's dreams for him. 
and they become part of his motivation. They become part of his like drive to save the woman he loves or the woman he came to love. And this show ends with, um, like I said, spoiler alert, this show ends with Lucy on the surface of the moon, going on a moonwalk. And she, see, and she sees a kind of vision of when her and David did the brain dive disc of the lunar surface. And she's accomplished her dream. But did nothing left there. And she's like she has this loving memory of this of the man she loved, of the person she loved, who's no longer there, who she tried to save but couldn't. And so I, w so I went to go see um in UO, and I talked about that on this podcast a couple episodes ago. You can check it out. But my friend Lauren, who, if you're listening, um, if you're listening to this, Lauren, once again, happy birthday! It's Lauren's birthday, literally the day I'm recording this. Um, but she said, "Why couldn't they just end the story when they were both happy?" And at the time, I was like, "That's not the story they want to tell." But there's this moment when I was done watching this show. I was like, "They, this is a, there's a different version of this ending. There's a different version of this ending where even if David is like, per, is like way chromed down, he's still a little fucking nuts, but he's alive." And this show doesn't do it. And I'm... And I... This show takes the, like, sadder way out. And it takes... It takes this... It takes this step of, like... I think also trying to be a warning sign... Against capitalism, against... Like, the proliferation of, like, overuse of capitalism and all this stuff. But it doesn't... It doesn't quite stick the landing. And I'm going to bring up something weird here, but it, it'll make sense, I promise. Another Netflix property involving Jaden Smith is a show called Neo Yokio. And Neo Yokio is this, like, anime-inspired, weird, slice-of-life, mystical arts bullshit thing. And I don't think I don't think it's gonna get another season, but when they thought they were going to, they released this line of merch that was fake. And the merch was pretty okay looking, I clicked on it. And then it immediately was like, Capitalism is poison and murder, fuck you. I don't think that's the right way to do it either. I I think the genius of the most genius cyberpunk things is the fact that yes it's a warning but it's not it's a warning that 
attempts to show you all the things you could have and then all the consequences that could come alongside it if we're not careful. And maybe we need to give up some of those things forever to avoid certain very bad consequences, like the creative the creation of a character like Adam Smasher. And I had this thought of like I had this thought of Yes, Cyberpunk is a warning, but how many people is anybody or how many people are listening? How many pe how many people are really listening to the the things that this thing is trying to warn you against? The the really telling thing of this show is that all the characters who flip their lids and go insane, David, Maine, the cyber psycho who kills Rebecca's brother, are all big men. They're all big, overbuilt, like, muscle dudes when they lose their brains, when they go, when they go off the, their rocker. They've all given in to the machine, basically. They've given themselves up to this machine of a thing. They've given themselves up to, like, the chasing of status and power and blah, 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 blah. And that ultimately leads them to be used by people above them who have no who have no awareness of them other than ooh useful tool and the the very beginning of the show when David is backed into a corner and he's ignoring all of these advances from Arasaka to like financially support him and blah 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 that's that's the right answer. And in Lucy's case, as a character, you find out that Lucy was plucked from obscure obscurity somewhere where they wouldn't miss an orphan or two. And she was trained to dive for Arasaka, and then she was used as, like, a puppet to dive for Arasaka. Arasaka was looking for something, God knows what. But she was essentially a tool. And so you find out late, you find out late in the game that she was essentially taking revenge in her free time on Arasaka. Not just for her circumstances, but for, like, basically what you can kind of figure out, creating the world in which somebody who she looked up to as a role model, not an idol, but a role model, main, ends up dying. And she's acting out her feelings in her own way. And you see this manifested by David saying like, so are you ready to come back yet? I really want to work with you. I love you. And she's like, not yet. Just a little longer, I promise. I, I just need some more time. And he, like, lovingly just is like, I get it. I miss Maine too. Let's go to bed. And then, but, um... It's just like... Hey! So, one thing I will say I unequivocally appreciate about this show 
is, and I do, I think this is a great show, and I think you should watch it. I don't necessarily think you should binge watch it. It, it, it is a roller coaster ride that could fuck you up a little. But, um, I like that this show went for broke, and went for broke in a way where, like, we are telling a contained story in ten episodes, we are not playing this two-season game. We may get another season, but we'll tell a different story. But this, this ten episodes is this contained story. Which is really refreshing to see that done on a Netflix show, because Netflix, up until very recently, was like, everybody gets two seasons. So you got weird shit like Pacific Rim the Black... Like, Pacific Rim Black that just was, like, so fucked up in its narrative pacing. And this this does its best to keep it all in the ten episodes. And could they make more? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Doesn't even, not even a doubt in my mind they could easily make more. But they really told a complete story here. Start, middle, and end. I just, I just really wish that I, that I had less of a, I had less of a feeling of, are we still asking the simple questions? Like, are we, are we still asking these questions that don't, that are just to the left of what matters in these things? Like, the, and the answer is probably no. The answer is probably I'm an idiot and we're asking the right questions and we're starting to look at answers. But I'm cautious to think that lots of people who watch this show will love it. But they won't they won't see past certain things in a way that means they won't necessarily always get the meat of what the fuck's up. Of what this show is trying to say about the world in which these characters find themselves in. And I had that I had that feeling of the video game too. And I I wonder if it's a core competency of the Cyberpunk 2077 universe that it's just not something about it isn't built to have that conversation with itself. Something about it isn't built to have the kind of conversation that Ghost in the Shell has with itself all the time. And, and I realized bo this in both go comparing Ghost in the Shell to the Cyberpunk 2077 video game and Edge Runners, but Ghost in the Shell is a high bar for a reason. It is very good at what it at what it chooses when it chooses to do things it is generally speaking very good at it 2045 is less good than other 
it, th than others than it than other things have been, but it is still pretty confident at the end of the day. Certainly more confident than the 2077 video game was when it first came out. And there's a version of the there's a version of this show where um Rebecca gets to live where all of these ancillary side characters who die get to live and A, you have more potential for following these characters later on but also you have more moments of humanity that you can inject into the show because that's why I think Edge Runners really shines it shines in the humanity they give these like mercenary characters um and yes they make a 2d villain out of faraday and yes they make a 2d villain out of out of smasher although like i said earlier i think at, i think it's about time we got the adam smasher story the like story of how the fuck we get this guy and and why he is the way he is because it would it would let it would go a long way to giving gravity to him showing up and shit if this is how it's gonna go but I'm probably rambling more than I should be here but it's I couldn't stop thinking about this and the thing that said this is worth your time is I couldn't stop thinking about it after I'd watched it I while I didn't necessarily like that it took the last took the story turns it did to kill its main character I respect it for it um but yeah so that is my big thoughts on cyberpunk on cyberpunk edge runners if you haven't seen it it's available on Netflix and on that note, I have been Alex, and this has been Lunchbox Radio. We recently reached 100,000 listens on the podcast. If you want to contribute to further listens for the podcast, I encourage you to subscribe to this show in whatever app you're using to listen to me right now. New episodes come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. Thursday is more like this. It's a show about shows or films or a property um sunday is more metatextual it's about fandom it's about the industry it's about bigger concepts and ideas in animation or creativity or art or whatever so definitely look out for those every other sunday um and on that note be sure to follow the podcast on instagram uh, at at um hold on at lunchbox radio all one word all lowercase underscore podcast and you'll get all kinds of animation shenanigans and adventures and promos for each episode and all that fun jazz so thank you so much for sitting with me for an hour and a half and change i have been alex this has been lunchbox radio and i will talk to you i think on sunday yeah, on Sunday. Hello there, knights!
Stanley here with you, and we got another day ahead of us in this city of dreams. Ooh, I love this town. Love it like you might love a mother who popped you out on the steps of an orphanage once and now stops you to ask if you got a smoke for her. Every new day here means a hundred new arrivals, but only half these gods will survive a year, and that's if it's a good one. And why do these peeps come to NC? Well, to be street samurai like Morgan, Blackhand, and Waylon Boa Boa. The greater the risk, the bigger the bounty, kids. Or so they say. But you can only be a major league player for so long. The faster you live, the faster you burn out. If you don't get a bullet to the brain first. Legends know where you'll find most of them. 